Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode contains distressing themes, profanity and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. To hear ad-free versions of our episodes published several days before their general release, subscribe to They Walk Among Us Plus. Head to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us or search for they walk among us on Apple Podcasts to learn more. Wyken Slough is one of the largest grassland areas in Coventry. Nestled in the north of the city, it has been referred to as a green lung. The area is a serene nature reserve and a joy for bird spotters, as many species thrive in the marshy conditions. Walking through the park, it's possible to go beneath the M6 to the Wyken Basin, a small canal that serves as a mooring spot for boats that usually cruise along canals in Coventry and Oxford. It's a pleasant place to take a walk, and in the 1970s, it was not unusual to see groups of young children playing on the banks unsupervised. On the morning of May 15, 1979, three boys were playing by the Wyken Basin when they noticed something floating in the water. Curious, they went to take a closer look. They approached the reeds on the water's edge and the object came into focus. It dawned on them that it was a body. Panicked by their discovery, the boys ran to the first adult they could find. They told him what they had seen in the water, and in turn he hurriedly contacted the police. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 8 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime.
Investigators arrived at the scene without delay and pulled the naked body of a young woman from the water. In their company was a police surgeon. He noted the poor woman had bruises on her face, back and torso, but there was no apparent cause of death. All the remains were taken for a post-mortem. The police cordoned off the scene from the Wyken Basin to the area beneath the M6. There they found some clothes that they believed belonged to the woman in the water. The post-mortem was conducted by Home Office pathologist Dr. Derek Barrowcliffe. He found a total of 14 external injuries to the mystery female's body. She had also sustained a fracture to her back. None of the injuries directly caused her death, however. Fluid in her lungs indicated that she was still alive when she entered the water. Dr. Barrowcliffe believed the woman had drowned, but her injuries suggested she may have been attacked. It appeared as though she endured a harrowing death after being injured. A slim young woman who stood five feet tall, had brown hair and a freckled complexion. Her appearance did not match with anyone who had been reported missing. The police were finding it difficult to confirm her identity, but soon they got a phone call that changed the course of the investigation. 18-year-old Yvonne Dooley called the police after seeing a report in the May 15th edition of the Coventry Evening Telegraph. The headline read, Woman found dead in Wyken Canal Basin, Coventry. Police investigating. Yvonne told the officers that her husband Noel had been in the area the previous night with a young woman called Linda Edwards. Yvonne said her husband had come home in the early morning hours covered in mud. His shoe, shirt and trousers were dirty. Not wanting to traipse the mud through the house, he immediately stripped off and washed his clothes. Yvonne was aware that her husband had an affair with Linda Edwards. Noel Dooley had lived with her for three weeks before he ended the relationship and moved back in with his wife. Yvonne Dooley's statement marked a turning point in the investigation as the police had not known for sure who the woman was or if she had even been the victim of a crime. After speaking with Yvonne, officers arrested her husband, Noel John Dooley, at Bell Green shortly after 5pm on May 16th. Dooley was taken to Stony Stanton Road Police Station to be interviewed while officers made contact with Linda Edwards' parents to see if she was missing. Linda had last been seen leaving her home the night before the body was found, and her father Alan positively identified his daughter two hours after Dooley's arrest. (laughs) 
Linda was the second oldest of five children born to Mr. and Mrs. Cole from Logsley Close in Coventry. She attended Holbrook's Junior School, moving on to Woodend Junior and then to Foxford Comprehensive in her teenage years. Linda left school at the age of 15. She was a big Elvis Presley fan and loved rock and roll music, so it was no surprise that when she married her boyfriend Stephen Edwards a year later at the young age of 16 in April 1977, they had a teddy boy wedding. Describing his daughter, Linda's father said, She was a proper little teddy girl. She had always been interested in rock and roll music and clothes, and mixed with a crowd of teddy boys and girls round here. Teddy boys is a subculture inspired by fashion and rock and roll music from the United States. Young men would often wear suede creepers, boxy bright suits, and have their hair combed into a ducktail at the back and high at the front. Linda and Stephen Edwards had a baby girl they named Sarah at the end of 1977, but they separated a year later. Linda, then still a teenager, and her young daughter moved into a flat at Wood End. She then began a relationship with Noel John Dooley, a local petty criminal who was married with a young child. Their relationship was tumultuous and caused a great deal of drama in both of their lives. However, Linda was young and in love. Noel John Dooley was born in Birmingham, but moved to Coventry with his parents as a boy. He went to President Kennedy School in the city, but struggled to find work after leaving. Like Linda Edwards, Dooley married young. He and his wife Yvonne were just teenagers when they tied the knot in July 1978 and had a child together soon after. Life did not work out the way they had hoped. Less than a year later, Noel Dooley was having an affair and was also a familiar face with law enforcement. By May 15, 1979, things went from bad to worse when Noel John Dooley was suspected of killing his former lover. Although the police had a person of interest in custody, they continued their inquiries around the area to try and narrow down Linda Edwards' movements on the night of her death. Linda's daughter Sarah was taken in by relatives as they tried to come to terms with what had happened. At the station, lead detective Chief Inspector Graham Homer asked Noel Dooley about his whereabouts on the night Linda was killed. Dooley claimed that he was home all night with his pregnant wife and child, but the police already knew that was not true. He was asked why he was washing his shirt at 2am on the night in question, and Dooley explained that he had been sweating, and it wasn't that late when he washed it. 
Interviewers also posed a question about whether he told his wife that he had hurt Linda's back by bending her across his knee. He denied making any statement like that to Yvonne. Detective Homer confronted Dooley and told him, Your wife only saw a couple of lines in the local paper about a body in the canal and knew that you had something to do with it. You told her you had been to the canal at the slough. Dooley said that was untrue and stated that they had the wrong man. He was also asked about scratch marks on his back and he explained that they were self-inflicted because he had scabies. The investigators eventually told Noel Dooley that his wife had made a statement that contradicted his account and surprised he asked to see what she had said. The officers told him he was not allowed to see the contents of the statement, but he was shown her signature at the bottom of each page she had written. Dooley was stunned, but investigators had more information that could implicate him in the crime. Rattled Noel Dooley sat forward, and told DCI Homer that he did not want his wife involved. He asked, If I tell you what happened, will you keep her out of it? Dooley then began to tell the investigators his version of events. He admitted that he and Linda had briefly lived together even though they were married to other people. He recalled the night of May 14th. He had picked Linda up from her flat on Binton Road in Wood End. The plan for the evening was to steal a car together. He said they were walking along the canal path beneath the M6 bridge when Linda began to take off her clothes and left them in a pile. The detective asked Dooley if Linda wanted to have sex with him and he responded, It was obvious she did. The detective then asked, Are you saying that she stripped her clothes off and that you, a virile young man, didn't accept what she was offering? Dooley said that he could get what he needed at home. He then made derogatory remarks about the young woman he had briefly lived with. According to Dooley, Linda would do anything for sex, and she had even slept with a 15-year-old boy. Providing his account of what happened, Dooley said that after he refused to have sex, he threw Linda's clothes into the canal and then simply walked away. Linda Edwards ran after him. A struggle ensued before he struck her, and he put his hands around her throat. I just couldn't control myself, Dooley said. The detectives asked him why he had punched Linda, and he replied, I don't know. I had hold of her with both hands. I thought I had killed her and was crying. The detectives asked Dooley if he had pushed Linda into the canal at that point, and he denied that he did. Dooley said, 
She couldn't breathe very well and was trying to get blood out of her mouth with her fingers, and I bent her over the railings to try and help her breathe. Then she was gone. Noel Dooley said that he had hoped Linda had swam to the other side and got out, but he panicked and ran home. By the evening of May 16, 1979, Dooley was brought to a magistrate's court and charged with Linda Edwards' murder. Linda's baby girl was cared for by her grief-stricken family. On June 5th, just two weeks after his daughter's murder, Linda's father Alan died of natural causes. The family's heartbreak was unimaginable. Noel John Dooley's trial began at Birmingham Crown Court in March 1980. Inside the yellow brick walls of the Number 6 Court, Prosecutor Peter Weitzman QC outlined the Crown's case against the defendant. Dooley denied the charges of murder, causing grievous bodily harm, and inflicting grievous bodily harm with intent. The jury were reduced to 11 members by the second day of proceedings, after one of the jurors called to say that they were too unwell and could not attend for at least two days. The remaining jurors heard that Dooley had been having an affair with Linda Edwards, and they had lived together at one point, but at the time of her death the affair had ended. Apparently, Linda was still in love with Dooley. She wanted to rekindle their relationship, so she would send him letters and this caused issues within his marriage. It was alleged that she also sent correspondence to Dooley's wife, Yvonne, and signed them with the name Tony to stir up trouble. Despite this, Dooley arranged to see Linda every Monday, in his words, to keep her happy, and it was on a Monday evening that they met before she died. The court heard that Dooley had threatened to end Linda's life that same day. He had appeared before Coventry magistrates on May 14, 1979, in relation to a separate matter. He had been bound over to appear at a later stage. He had spoken to his co-defendant in that case, Raymond Anthony Hilton, in the corridors of the magistrates. During this conversation, Dooley had told Hilton, I'm going to fucking well kill Linda. Jeanette Dixon was present and participated in the conversation. She told the court that when she asked Dooley why he wanted to kill Linda, He responded that Linda was a whore who had been stirring. The prosecutor voiced his opinion that although people don't always mean what they say, Dooley's words indicated how angry he was at Linda before her body was found. 
That said, the defence alleged that Dooley had been coerced into making a confession under pressure from the lead investigator on the case. When Detective Chief Inspector Graham Homer was cross-examined by Dooley's counsel John Owen QC, he was accused of telling Dooley that his wife was in custody and could be charged with a crime unless he made a statement. DCI Homer denied the allegation and said he had only told Dooley that his wife had made a statement. Dooley took to the witness box to testify in his own defence. The defendant told the court that he had drunk eight pints of bitter that night but was not blind drunk when he collected Linda and went out with her intending to steal a car. They left Linda's 18-month-old daughter alone in the flat. Asked about his demeanour when consuming alcohol, Dooley admitted, I lose my temper when I have been drinking if someone provokes me. Dooley explained that it was when they walked by the canal that Linda stripped off all of her clothes. He said, I think I told her to fuck off and I threw her clothes into the water. I wasn't interested in her. I think she wanted me to have sexual intercourse with her and I didn't want to. Dooley claimed that as he turned and walked back under the bridge, Linda appeared in front of him, completely naked. However, the account he provided in court differed from the earlier interviews with the police. I just grabbed her and pulled her backwards over my knee. I grabbed her with both hands. I don't know what I had in mind. All I can remember after that is bending over her with my hands around her throat. She lay on the ground and was limp. I thought she was dead. Then she spoke. I was crying and upset. But I think she was saying that it was all right and that Stephen, her husband, had tried to strangle her. According to Dooley, he had lifted Linda up against the railings and intended to carry her home, but after briefly walking away, he heard a splash. Dooley claimed he ran back over to the railings, but he could not see her in the water, so he lit matches to try and find her. During cross-examination, the prosecutor highlighted how brutal the attack was. You punched her a number of times in the face. You injured her back and partially suffocated her in some way. You thought at first that you had killed her, so she must have lost consciousness. Am I not right in saying it was a savage attack? Dooley responded that there was no intent and he had just lost his temper, and the attack only lasted a couple of seconds. He said that he ran off because he was scared. Quote, I didn't know what I was doing when I did it. Dooley was a reasonable swimmer, 
Britain claimed to have swum in the canal when he was younger, so he expected that Linda could have got out of the water. Dooley went on to say that he knew that Linda was carrying on with several young men, but he denied threatening to kill her or calling her a whore. He also said he did not know if Linda was infatuated with him. Under questioning, the prosecutor said, What I suggest to you is that you quite deliberately put this girl into the canal, and it is really quite impossible she could have got in any other way. You attacked her and rendered her semi-conscious and then put her into the canal. That is the truth, is it not? Dooley denied that it was. John Owen QC said that his client had given a detailed statement about the incident because it was the truth. He had no reason to lie about how she ended up in the canal. The barrister implied that Linda could have climbed over the railing herself. John Owen QC voiced the opinion that his client was a young, not-so-intelligent man, doing his best to be truthful. During his closing argument, the prosecutor Peter Wiseman QC argued that the defence's claims that Linda had either fallen or thrown herself into the canal were absurd. The prosecutor also reminded the jury that she would have been in considerable pain from her broken back. Weizmann said, When you put together these facts on the face of it, there are only two possibilities. The first is that someone, and you may think that it could only possibly have been the defendant who put her over the rail. The other is that she herself scaled the railings and threw herself into the water or let herself fall into the water. Linda was five feet tall and the railings were three feet six inches high. Peter Weitzman QC believed that for a young woman of that height to get over the railing would require great agility, telling the jury, In her condition, semi-dazed, with a painful broken back, you may think that it was a feat which was quite beyond her. The presiding judge, Mr Justice Russell, began summing up the case after four days of legal proceedings. He said the vital issue for the jury to consider was whether or not Noel Dooley threw Linda into the canal. Mr Justice Russell explained that if the jury was satisfied Dooley had put Linda into the water with the intent to kill her, their verdict should be murder. If they believed he put her into the canal without intent, they should return a verdict of manslaughter. After one hour and 40 minutes of deliberations, the jury returned on Friday, March 28, 1980. Dooley stood in silence. The top buttons of his shirt were undone, revealing a cross tattoo on his chest. When the foreman of the jury read the verdict aloud, 
Noel Dooley's hands tightly gripped the railings in the dock, and he shook his head from side to side. He was found guilty of murder and causing grievous bodily harm with intent. In addition to the mandatory life sentence imposed for murder, Dooley was sentenced to another five years for GBH to be served concurrently. Before he was led out of the court, Mr Justice Russell told the newly convicted murderer, You put that girl into that canal and left her there to die in the cold water. It was a cruel and callous thing. Dooley was taken down the steps to the cells as he shook his head and mouthed something silently to himself. Noel John Dooley spent the next 18 years behind bars before being released early on licence with the condition that he attend probation and psychiatric appointments. He had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia while serving his sentence. Dooley breached the conditions of his licence, but before he could be recalled to prison, he vanished. His release had devastating consequences. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Nicola Hurst was a young single mother who had fallen on hard times. By October 2000, she had been making money as a sex worker in Bradford's red light district for around 18 months. In the early hours of October 29th, Nicola was standing at the junction of Lister Hills Road and Richmond Road in Bradford when she was approached by a white male who was wearing a baseball cap and dark clothing. He spoke with a southern accent and offered Nicola £20 to perform a sex act. The man was scruffy-looking, had heavy stubble and an unkempt appearance. Nicola needed the money, so she agreed. The man led Nicola to a more secluded location within an industrial yard on Norcroft Street. He gestured towards a large skip. They would have privacy there, in the shadow of the surrounding empty buildings. Nicola looked down and scrabbling through her purse for a condom. However, when she looked up, Nicola saw a six-inch blade glinting in the stranger's hand. At knife point, the man forced her to unbutton her top and perform an oral sex act. Terrified, Nicola complied, but at the same time she tried to make an emergency call on her mobile phone. The sound of her phone buttons alerted the man, and he told her he was going to stab her. Nicola pushed him back and ran towards an alley between the two large industrial buildings. Just as she began to call out for help, she felt someone cover her mouth, and she was stabbed in the back. As Nicola was pushed to the floor, the man told her it was her own fault. He kept plunging the knife into her until she lost consciousness. Miraculously, Nicola didn't die. When she awoke, her phone was on the ground in front of her, but it was broken. She was bleeding profusely, but reached out to try and reassemble the device to call for help. However, she was not alone. The attacker heard her moving, came back and began stabbing her again. Nicola was able to kick the man's hand, which caused the knife to bounce back and strike the man's forehead. As he swung the blade again, she kicked out, causing the knife to lodge in her shoe temporarily. But when he pulled it out, he plunged the knife into her chest. Nicola struggled to breathe, and she passed out for a second time. When she came to, the man was still there and still stabbing her. 
all the while telling her, All you bitches are the same. Nicola pleaded for her life at first, but after being stabbed countless times, she begged the man just to let her die. She fell silent and still. After what must have been an agonising wait, the man left her alone and walked away. Nicola knew that if she made even the slightest sound, he would hear her and return. Somehow she managed to summon the strength to drag herself out onto the roadside, where she was seen by a warehouse worker who recognised her. He immediately called for help. It was around 3.40am. 27-year-old Nicola Hurst was rushed to Bradford Royal Infirmary for treatment. Thoracic surgeon Dr Vladimir Anakin was shocked that she had survived. Nicola had been stabbed a total of 43 times. 28 of the wounds had been inflicted to her chest, torso and back while the rest had been defensive wounds to her arms, hands and legs. As Nicola recovered under police guard at the hospital, an investigation was launched to try and locate the man who nearly took her life. Bradford CID Detective Chief Inspector Roger Gasson made an announcement the following day warning sex workers and those in the Lister Hills area of the city to remain vigilant. DCI Gasson said, This was a cold and calculated attack on a vulnerable woman. We believe the weapon used was a large bladed knife, possibly with a blade more than three inches long, and we are still looking for that knife in that area. I would appeal to all the other working women in the area to come forward if they have any information about this attack. I would also warn working women to be vigilant about this man as he is still at large. The victim is very traumatised and we are treating this attack very seriously. I appeal to anyone who may know this man to come forward or anybody who saw him hanging around in that red light area before or after the time of the attack to contact me. Any information will be treated in the strictest confidence. Detective Gasson warned the public to look out for a white male of average height and build, with a chubby face and heavy stubble. The incident was not well published, but it did catch the attention of the right person. Within days of the attack, a 999 call came in from a man called Stuart Anthony Jackson. Stuart told the police that his friend Noel John Dooley had arrived at his home the day after the attack in a distressed state with a cut on his head. Stewart said that Dooley told him that dark clothes and a knife had been stolen from the caravan he was living in. Stewart was sceptical of Dooley's story, 
and asked if he was sure he had not dumped or burned the items after hurting someone. Dooley explained that he had been out at a nightclub the previous evening and couldn't remember much after leaving. Later that day, Dooley returned to Stuart's home agitated after reading about the attack in the Telegraph and Argus. Stuart believed that the attacker's description fitted Dooley to a T, and Dooley began talking about how someone was setting him up. Dooley announced that he planned on leaving the city and asked for Stuart's phone number so he could call him and get updates on the case. When he left, Stuart wasted no time in contacting the police. The suspect was arrested soon after and brought in for questioning. During the police interviews, Dooley explained that he had gone to a nightclub and then to a 24-hour garage, but could not remember anything else about the night Nicola Hurst was attacked including how he got the cut on his forehead. As he was on licence and had breached the conditions of his release by missing probation and psychiatric appointments, Noel Dooley was held in custody until he was eventually charged with attempted murder. The trial began at Leeds Crown Court in October 2001. Robert Smith QC told the court that Noel John Dooley had been convicted of killing Linda Edwards 20 years earlier and had been wanted for breaching his licence conditions at the time of the attack. The prosecutor said that Dooley had stabbed Nicola Hurst over 40 times and had twice returned to stab her after she lost consciousness. Referring to the third time Nicola woke up on the ground, Robert Smith QC said, Miss Hurst laid completely still, knowing that if she moved once more he would return to stab her again, and she would have certainly died. Courageously, Nicola took the stand. She recalled how Dooley had lured her into a remote industrial park with the promise of £20. Dooley then ordered her to her knees after pulling out the knife. Nicola stated, He had the knife at my throat. I was trying to make an emergency phone call, but it makes a noise when you press the mobile. He was getting really angry and said, stop messing around, hurry up. He said he was going to kill me, to stab me. Nicola told the court that she was unable to raise the alarm when she ran towards the buildings as Dooley caught up with her. I started screaming for help and I felt a hand around my mouth. And I remember feeling a stabbing sensation and a warm, trickling feeling in my back. He was saying, It's your own fault. It's your own fault. I bit his hand, and he pushed me to the floor. 
Dooley stabbed Nicola Hurst numerous times as she was on the ground, and he ignored her pleas to spare her. She was in tears on the stand, as she recalled passing out and waking up to find her phone in pieces. As she attempted to fix it, she heard Dooley walk back towards her, and he began stabbing her again. It was at this point she kicked out, causing the knife to get stuck in her shoe. She said, Then he stabbed me in the chest and I couldn't breathe. Nicola lost consciousness for a second time, and when she awoke, Dooley was next to her still holding the six-inch blade. She remembered he calmly told her, I have got to kill you because you can identify me. All you bitches are the same. Die, bitch, die. Nicola said that she had resigned herself to the fact that he was going to kill her. And she told him, I am dying. You don't have to stab me anymore. Just give me time to die. Nicola waited for her attacker to leave before she dragged herself out onto the roadside, where she was found by a warehouse worker. She said, The only reason I lived was because the person who found me knew me, and he said if I wasn't to breathe for myself, then I should breathe for my little son. If it hadn't have been for him reminding me to live for my five-year-old son, I would have given up. The surgeon who treated Nicola at Bradford Royal Infirmary said that she would have died if she had not have been operated on when she was. Dr. Vladimir Anakin testified, This condition is very dangerous, and she was categorised as an emergency with a risk of fatality. If she hadn't received emergency treatment, she could have died of oxygen starvation. Testimony was presented by forensic pathologist Professor Christopher Mallory. He said that it was his opinion that the cut on Dooley's head was caused by a blade, which was consistent with Nicola's account of how the attacker had been injured. Dooley's counsel said that his client had been to the Rio Campus nightclub at the time of the attack. He believed Dooley's drink had been spiked, and there may have been a fight which would explain his client's injuries. Dooley's friend David Ty told the court that Dooley had told him he thought he had been hit with a stick. Dooley had said he woke up with blood all over his pillow, and he had given the pillow to David to wash. Stuart Anthony Jackson, the man who had reported his friend Noel Dooley to the police, had taken his own life before the trial. His statement about what happened was read to the court by the prosecutor.
after a short trial. When the verdict was read aloud, 42-year-old Noel John Dooley began screaming at the jury, I hope you all rot in hell. Dooley was found guilty of attempted murder. Judge Kay called Dooley an explosion waiting to happen and said it was a miracle that Nicola Hurst survived the ordeal, which was appalling beyond belief. The judge said, If the authorities knew where he was, Nicola Hurst would never have been attacked. He would have been in prison. Judge Kay sentenced Dooley to two life sentences, one for the attempted murder and the other because he had breached the terms of his license under his first life sentence. Speaking about Dooley after the verdict, Detective Superintendent Chris Gregg said, He has killed before and is an exceptionally dangerous man. The sentence today reflects the danger this man presents and the ferocity of his attack on this young woman. If he had not been caught, he would undoubtedly, in my view, have killed again or tried to. So where are we now? Noel John Dooley began serving his second life term at Full Sutton Prison in November 2001. In May of the following year, Dooley was found hanging in his cell in the segregation unit. His death meant he escaped justice, but it was closure for Nicola Hurst. Speaking to the Telegraph and Argus a week later, Nicola recalled the moment she heard the news. I got a phone call while I was cleaning my mum's bedroom and I was so shocked I dropped the vacuum. I'm not going to lie. I felt huge relief. It was like a light at the end of the tunnel. Before, there was always the thought that he'd be back on the streets one day. The probation service even asked me if I wanted to meet him. I would rather have killed myself. Until last week, I was planning to emigrate. Now I can stay here with my family. I had my first proper night's sleep for years yesterday, and I am off the sleeping pills and antidepressants. My future is so much brighter. I'm set to begin college, and I am enjoying my life more than ever before. I used to think about the attack when I got up, throughout the day and before I went to sleep. Now it is just once or twice a day. Since he died, I have gone through all sorts of emotions. I was frustrated he'd taken the coward's way out and wouldn't serve his punishment. I felt sorry for him as well, but I've never felt anger towards him. I'm just glad he'll never get the chance to do this to me or anyone else again. Nicola explained that the effects of the attack would never leave her. 
She had been left with dozens of scars and had lost the use of her hand. She said, Something triggers it off and suddenly I'm miles away. It is just like I am back at the scene again. It is really embarrassing because sometimes I will scream out in the middle of the day. However, Nicola also revealed that the attack made her a stronger person. It was the wake-up call I needed to turn my back on drugs and prostitution. Nicola attempted to obtain compensation from the Criminal Injuries Compensation Authority, as Noel Dooley was a convicted murderer out on licence when he attacked her. She was initially offered £1,000. Five years later, the CICA finally agreed to a maximum of £5,337, which Nicola felt was a disgrace, as the authority had considered her criminal history and character when deciding on the amount she was entitled to. Nicola said, I am devastated with the amount awarded to me. They did not even listen to the full details of my case. My life has been destroyed by the attack, and the award doesn't reflect that. My injuries were physical and psychological. I don't think I will ever get over the attack. They have made me feel like I was the criminal instead of the victim. I don't understand the system at all. My whole world has been turned upside down. I can't believe they are treating me like this. It's a disgrace. It's like they were saying the attack was my fault, and I had asked for it. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.